Today we are telling the story of a man who brought the gospel to Burma, translated the Bible, and created an English-Burmese dictionary, started a church with thousands of converts, was tortured in a prison, and was the only survivor of a death march. His life was full of loss and death. This is the story of Adamiram Judson, the first missionary America sent overseas. If you're following me on social media, you may have noticed that I've started something new, hosting events from church history, and I call them On This Day Post. Well, I was set to record today's episode on April the 12th and to release it on that day. That's because that's the day that honors a man named Adamiron Judson, and this is his story. However, that morning I woke up really sick, and I was sick for a couple of days. After I got better, I was so behind on work projects that I'm only just now finally catching up. So here, finally, is the story of Adamiron Judson. Five years after the end of the War of Independence, on August the 9th, 1788, Adamiron was born in Massachusetts. His father was a strict congregational pastor, and he worked hard to stop liberalism from entering the church. Adamiron grew up in America during the presidency of George Washington and John Adams, and he left for university when Thomas Jefferson was president. That is so cool. I can't even imagine what it would have been like growing up during this period. I'm sure it was so interesting. Adamiron loved to read, and he started reading the Bible when he was only three years old. He was such a gifted learner that by 16 he was accepted into the College of Rhode Island, now known as Brown University. He started there on August 17, 1884. In our last episode, we told the story of Francis Wayland, who took over Brown University and cleaned it up, but that was in 1827. Adam attended before he cleaned up the school. While attending the school, Adam met a student named Jacob Eames. The two became close friends and talked about philosophy and theology. While Adam had grown up in a pastor's home, Jacob was a skeptic, and under his influence, Adam walked away from the faith. His father, who had worked hard to keep liberalism out of the church and to raise his children to love and honor God, was devastated when his son returned from college as an atheist. On September the 2nd, 1807, Adam Iron Judson got his bachelor degrees. A recent graduate, reckless and feeling like nothing could stop him, Adam Iron joined a theater troupe. He wrote for them, and they traveled from city to city. He had been controlled by his father, the church, and the university, but now, now he was completely free. But then he found out the theater troupe was leaving town without paying their bills. So he left. He didn't believe in God, but he did still believe in right and wrong. He was traveling alone now and needed a place to stay, so he went to a local inn. The innkeeper said he had one room left but he didn't think Adam Iron would want to stay there. You see, the man in the room next door was very sick, and he might even meet his maker that night. 
Adam Myron told the innkeeper he didn't believe in God and death didn't scare him, so he took the room. Throughout the night, he heard the man in the room crying, moaning, and repeating that he had been so wrong. The next morning, the man was quiet. Adam Myron went to see the innkeeper and asked how the man was doing. The innkeeper told him the man had passed away early that morning. Adam Myron asked if he knew the name of the man. Yes, his name was Jacob, Jacob Eames. Adam Myron felt his knees buckle under him. He had just spent the night listening to his best friend die, and he didn't even know it. This moment was a life-changing event for him. He decided to go home to see his parents, and he wanted to study the Bible and joined a seminary. The school knew he was not a Christian, but they allowed him to enter anyway because of who his father was. While at the seminary, he gave his life to God and vowed he would serve him forever. He made that vow on October the 12th, 1808. A year later, he was offered a pastorship of the Third Congressional Church of Plymouth. But Adam Iron believed that God had called him to leave America and serve as a missionary. While preparing for the field, Adam Iron attended a fancy party. While at the party, he met a beautiful young lady named Anne. Her father was the host of the party. The family was famous for putting together massive parties. Anne talked to Adam Iron at the party, and she told him she really loved the finer things, like parties and the clothes her parents could afford to buy her. But she knew God had called her for bigger things, and she didn't want to like the parties and the finer things. But she did. Adam Iron believed that Anne would be the perfect partner for him to go to India. He wrote her father a letter, and this is what it said. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardship and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influences of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise? which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. His father agreed to allow them to marry, but only if Anne wanted to. She agreed, and the two were engaged. On January 11, 1811, Adam Myron was sent to England to meet with the Missionary Society. During his trip, they were attacked by a French ship. Adam Myron was imprisoned for a few weeks, before being sent back to New York. At this point, Adam Iron decided he would go to the mission field, but he didn't want to be associated with the British, and he would not travel there for aid. A year later, 
the War of 1812 started. Adam Iron was ordained as a missionary, and he married Anne, all in the same year. The couple set sail for Calcutta. They traveled with another team. The team knew they would be meeting with William Carey. William was a Baptist, and the main difference between the Congregationalists and the Baptists was baptism. The Baptists believed in baptism by immersion, and only for people old enough to choose for themselves. Congregationalists believed in baptism by sprinkling, and for infants. The group decided they would use the time during travel to prepare to debate William Carey and explain why he was wrong on the topic of baptism. However, as they studied, they realized they were the ones that were wrong. When they arrived in Calcutta, they were baptized by the church where William Carey pastored. I did an episode on the life of William Carey, and if you go back and listen to that episode, the arrival of the team was the same year as the fire that destroyed the printing press and years of William Carey's work. I would recommend going back and listening to that episode. After the baptism, the group had a problem. They were no longer Congregationalists, and all of their missionary money had come from the Congregational Church. They believed they needed to be honest with them. They sent word back about their baptism. The churches all dropped their support. Now, they were in a foreign country with no support. A single man named Luther Rice returned to America. He visited churches, mostly Baptist churches. He preached almost every day of the week, calling on the churches to see the necessity of the missionary movement and the missionaries already overseas that needed their support. A convention was formed and later in history it would split into the Northern and Southern Baptist Conventions. This convention held these truths, the authority of the Bible, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the necessity of a conversion experience into believers' baptism by immersion, and evangelism and missionary outreach. On the board were James and Samuel and William Colgate, Francis Wayward. These were all men from our last episode. Some other notable men were Charles Hughes, the Chief Justice of the United States, and John and Laura Rockefeller. We will talk more about the Rockefellers in another episode. They are a controversial family, to say the least. Adam Iram and Ann Judson were also put on the board. Adam Iram and Ann started working and learning the language. While Ann dressed like the people of India, Adam Iram did not. Now, he had heard about the success of Hudson Taylor, but he felt like he was trying to be somebody he was not. So, he continued to dress in his Western clothes. Anne soon found out she was pregnant, and the couple was excited. But unfortunately, Anne miscarried. She became very ill and had to return home to seek medical treatment. Adamaran wanted to go with her, but she would not allow it. The church was getting started, and she didn't want him to leave. Once she was better, she came back to serve with Adam Iron, and she became pregnant again, and they had their first son, Roger Williams Judson. However, at the age of seven months, he passed away from illness. Three months after the death of their son, Adam Iron completed the grammatical notices of the Burmese language, and he finished his first track. A year later, he completed the translation of the Gospel of Matthew and finished the Burman Dictionary. 
but it was not until July 29, 1819, that the first Burman convert was baptized. A month later, the second track was finished, and one year later, they had a baptism service with 10 new converts. On July the 12th, 1823, Adam Iron completed the translation of the New Testament, well, the rough draft of it, and a lot of the Old Testament. The tiny church was growing, and it seemed like they were starting to make headway. And then it seemed as if the world exploded around him. It was the first Anglo-Burmese War of 1824. It was sparked for two reasons. Burma wanted more territory, and Britain wanted more trade. Burma began threatening two areas that Britain was doing trade with, so Britain attacked and then absorbed two Burmese provinces into its Indian holdings so that they could have better trade with East Asia. That, of course, made Burmese very angry, and the war started. The Baptist missionary activity was very disrupted during this conflict, and any American who spoke English was mistaken as British and accused of spying. On June 8, 1824, soldiers arrived at the home of the Judsons. They pushed themselves into the home and arrested Adamiram. The Burmese people in the home pleaded with the soldiers, explaining that Adamiram was not from England and that he was working to help the Burmese people. But they pushed Adamiram to the ground, tied his hands behind his back, and pushed him out the door, and he was brought to court. In the court, he pleaded his cause. He explained he was from America, and they were also been at war with England. The British were the enemy of his people. He was not a spy for them. However, he was found guilty and thrown into prison. The prison was the darkest, vilest place you could ever imagine. It was never cleaned, and there was no place for the men to go to the bathroom, so the rooms were full of human waste. There was also blood from the men who had been beaten regularly. And when a prisoner would die, it would be days before someone would bother to come and take the body away. The smell was so foul that you could feel it in the air. The guards and the executioners were prisoners who had committed murder and had been offered a chance to be excused from execution if they would work as executioners. They were evil men who enjoyed beating and killing people. Every day, a gong would sound and the executioners would come and take away one random prisoner and torture and kill him. The rest of the prisoners could hear the torture and the killings of their fellow inmates. Every time the gong would sound, panic would rush through the prison as each prisoner wondered who would be killed next. After a year in the prison, Judson and a few of the other English-speaking prisoners were taken and marched barefoot to another prison. It was called a death march because the prisoners were not expected to live. Judson was the only survivor. For Anne, it was the torture of not knowing if her husband was alive or dead. She also discovered shortly after he was taken that she was pregnant again. She visited the prison whenever she could, never knowing if her husband would be alive or dead. She didn't send word to Adam Iron about the pregnancy until she was so far along it was impossible to hide. She wrote letters trying to get his release, but the others living in the home with her had all fled. She was alone, pregnant, and scared. On January 26, 1825, 
she gave birth to Marie Jetson. Soon after giving birth, Anne became sick and her milk dried up. She was so afraid her baby was going to starve to death that she went door to door finding other mothers who would nurse her baby. When Marie was five months old, Adam Iron was moved to another prison that was closer to Anne and she was able to visit him. She was afraid that his Bible translation was going to be stolen or destroyed because there was no one to help her if the home was invaded. She took the translation and hid it in a pillow and brought it to the prison and gave it to Adam Iron. This shows how desperate this time was for Anne. She believed the Bible was safer in prison than in the home where she was living with a five-month-old baby. On February 24, 1826, the British and the Burmese were ready to sign a treaty. It was learned that there was a prisoner who spoke, read, and wrote both English and Burmese fluently. So Adamire Judson was brought to help write and sign the treaty. He then finally returned home. He was frail, sick, and discouraged. On top of everything, he'd been taken from the prison without being able to take his pillow with the Bible translation. He returned home to find a Burmese woman caring for his baby and his wife in bed. She was sick, both physically and emotionally, and she would never recover. While she did get better enough to travel, the physical and emotional toll the time had on her was one she could not break from. On November 24th, exactly 10 months after Adamire returned home, Anne died. Five months later, in April of 1827, little Marie died. She was two years and three months old. During those two years, Adamire had been tortured, imprisoned, lost his translation, which was the largest part of his ministry. The tiny church he had built was gone. His wife had died, and now his daughter. He went into despair, and then he received word that his father had died at the age of 75. Near where he lived, there was a jungle that was full of tigers. He decided he would move into the jungle. Now, there was no people living in this jungle. No one would enter it because of the tigers. He walked into the jungle, dug his grave, and then waited to be eaten. He lived in a small fort he had made next to his grave for one month. At the end of the month, he realized God was not going to let him be eaten by tigers. So he packed up and returned home. As he walked out of the jungle, the Burmese people who were his neighbors were shocked. They had all thought he was dead after the first night. After that day, he had a renewed passion to restart his ministry. He felt as though he was starting from the very beginning. He was traveling and speaking when one day he met a lady. As she heard his story, she got up quickly and ran, and she returned with the translation. She said she had seen the prison being emptied and saw the translation and had taken it before it could be destroyed and kept it safe. Adamaran couldn't believe it. His work had been spared all this time. He began to work on finishing up what was left of the New Testament parts of the translation. And he wrote a third tract. And for the next three years, he worked hard on his translations. He worked on Genesis, Exodus, Psalms, the Song of Solomon, Isaiah, and Daniel. On December the 15th, 1832, the New Testament was finally completed and sent to the printer. Finally, the Burmese people would have the New Testament printed in their language. During this time, they also began working with a group of people called the Karens. This started with a conversation 
with a Karen slave named Kothay Bry, who Adamiron brought to Christ. And it turned out Kothay Bry was an effective evangelist, and hundreds of Burmese were converted as a result of that one conversion. The group of people had at some point heard the gospel, and had passed it down from generation to generation, but didn't have a Bible. When Adamiron reached the Karen people, they were excited to hear the news of Jesus Christ. They responded, and thousands were converted to Christ. On September the 8th, 1833, the church celebrated the 100th person baptized. All of this was happening around the time the New Testament had been sent to the printers. In 1827, Adam Iron had entered a jungle, waiting to be eaten by tigers. He saw no hope. Now, six years later, the Bible had been sent to the printers. A hundred people had given their lives to Christ and been baptized. A year later, on April the 10th, Adam Iron married a widow named Sarah. The couple continued their work, and by this time, 1,144 Burmese had been converted and baptized. Adam Iron would preach, discipline, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead the lost to the Lord's feet. This movement was a victory cry for God's kingdom, for the plan of salvation that was unfolding among the Burmese people. On April the 7th, a few years later, they had their first child, and a year later they had their second child, and a year after that their third child named Henry. The couple had three little kids, and then Sarah became pregnant again. But this time, baby Luther didn't survive the birth and died as a stillbirth. Sarah struggled with this, and then just a few months later, their one-year-old baby Henry died. The couple struggled with the death of one-year-old Henry, and a year later when Sarah gave birth to another little boy, they named him Henry as well. The couple was reeling, and then Adamiron heard that his mother had died. In the next two years, the couple had two more children, Charlie and Edward. For Sarah, her years of marriage had been seven children, two of whom had died. The church was growing and more work was being written and translated, but Sarah's health was not good. She was sent home to recover from her illness. She left in 1845, a year after her last child was born, but her health did not recover. She passed away during her trip home on September the 1st. Two months after her death, Charlie died, and he was only two years old. At first, Judson buried his grief in his work. He finished the English Burmese Dictionary and then returned to America. When he arrived, he was shocked to find himself a celebrity. A book had been written about him and all that he had experienced. People came from all around to hear him speak. He met a young lady who was a writer. Her name was Emily Chubbuck. She was still in her 20s, and when Judson showed interest in her, people were not happy. They felt the age was a problem, and with all Judson had been through, his health was not good. However, the couple married and returned to the mission field. A year later, they had a baby named Emily, but Judson's health continued to decline. A few months later, Emily was pregnant again. In 1850, at the age of 62, Judson's health was so bad, he decided to take a trip to try to get better. His lungs had been damaged due to sickness and his time spent in prison. He hoped his time at sea would help his lungs. However, while on the trip, he passed away on April the 12th. He was buried at sea. He was 61 years old. When Emily heard the news, she went into labor. Her baby was born a few days later and he died a few hours after birth. Emily was 33 years old. 
and a widow in a foreign country with one child of her own and five stepchildren. She returned to America with all of her children and wrote a biography of Jetson. She also wrote three other books as well, all in just four years. But then she also got sick and died of tuberculosis. She was 37 years old when she died. Today, you can see a memorial to Judson on Burial Hill in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Here's a list of things he accomplished in his 61 years of life. He translated the Bible into Burmese. He baptized new Burmese converts. He disciplined new Burmese converts. He planted many churches. He started a printing press and a school and made an English Burmese dictionary. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about a man named David Livingston. In the meantime, while you're waiting for the next episode to come out, you can check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com. And I'll see you next week.